Welcome to Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me on today's episode is my co-host. Richie Brock. On today's episode, Richie and I are going to be continuing our series on the archetypes. Um, this will be the third installment in the archetype series, so we've done the episode on the introduction of the archetypes, where we did an overview. Then we did uh, the warrior, becoming the warrior, was the last one that we did. Now today, we're going to cover becoming the lover. Right. Ooh. <laughs> like, ooh. <laughs> should be... Uh, should be an interesting conversation. So we're going to get into the lover archetype, and we're going to be kind of covering it the same way that we've been covering them so far, right? Um, so just to kind of start off, we'll, we'll kind of just say, hey, why, why are we doing this, this series again, right? We've been talking about that because everybody knows Sword and Staff is the, the podcast that covers the paranormal stuff, right, right from a Christian perspective. So why, why <laughs> is it that we're talking about archetypes and masculinity? Well, it's because, again, we want to – to remythologize and look at life from a dis- all of life from a distinctively Christian perspective, right? Not just not just the paranormal and the spiritual, but everything. And whenever we look around, we see that this is an area that we think we can contribute to, right? To to helping men think about think about masculinity, and also it touches on femininity in some ways, right? We've been making some application with that as well, right? I think that today's episode will probably touch on that quite a bit more than the others yeah. right the yeah. lover um and so richie i don't know if you got anything you want to add to that before we actually get into the the meat of the episode but i say we just dive into it okay yeah i know that we're kind of short on time today yeah. so um all right so the lover archetype so what what exactly would you say are the characteristics of the lover archetype what what is the lover archetype i guess is what i'll what i'll ask i mean Obviously, that would be different for, from culture to culture, from person to person, and what they would sort of throw into that category. But for me, when I think about the lover archetype, I think it's the, the softer side of masculinity. So, like, artistic expressions, um, an emotional side, um, and how that relates to the various relationships and loves in somebody's life. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's good. So, <laughs> we've been saying, we've been kind of framing it like this. We've said that there are harder. Uh, virtues, harder archetypes in masculinity, and yeah. there's softer ones as well, right? Yep. So last time we did one of the harder ones, right? We did the warrior, right? And we, we men know that they should be warriors, right? Yeah. Um, we we inherently know that, but one of the things that we one of the ways we get unbalanced is we put all of our energy into that, and we don't put it into becoming the lover. And whenever we do that, what happens is we become unbalanced, right? We we become only. Uh, we're not integrated, right? And that leads to problems in our relationships, especially in like the home, um, uh, with your family, with your friends. It, it, it causes a lot of problems whenever you don't integrate in um, some of those softer virtues or archetypes or ideals is one way we've been talking about it as well, right? And so, um, so yeah, um, you know, some of the people that I've read on the archetypes – especially from a Christian perspective, like John Eldridge, he's, you know, his book Fathered by God uh, really talks a lot. It's really a Christian um, undertaking of explaining the archetypes. He talks about that one of the ways that the, the archetype expresses itself is in some of the things you mentioned. Like it's, he, he basically says that what happens is whenever a man, like he, he, he becomes this warrior, right? Like yeah. it, it, it you, deals with the soul. It deals with the spiritual side. Yeah. He talks about that, like, at a point in a man's life, he steps into the warrior. Yep. That's kind of like when a man hits, like, puberty, right? Like, he, he like, yeah. furs his brow, 
He's ready to scrap, right? Um, but then after that, there's a little balance that comes with that, right? And what happens is he, he grows into the lover, right? And so what happens is, is he, be, he begins to express himself in some new ways, right? Not just with picking up the sword, but one of the ways that Eldridge talks about it is the picking up of the pen, right? And, and writing things like poetry about the beauty of a woman or the beauty of creation, those types of things, right? Or it can also be expressed in other artistic endeavors as well, right? Like there's various types. I mean, art, you know, art, uh, you know, all of those kind of things. But obviously the most uh, central way in which that comes about is by taking on a woman to be your helpmate, right? Like, so we see Adam, right? He's in the Bible. He's he's put into the garden, right? He's he's going to work it. He's got to keep it. He's got this big mission, right? He's he's working and keeping the garden, and then God creates for him a helpmate from his side, the, who's the woman, and her chief end is to tend the gardener while he tends the garden, right? And so that's when a man becomes the lover, right? Now there's other ways in which a man becomes a lover. There's uh, C.S. Lewis. We've got a book here, a uh, really helpful book. Um, called The Four Loves, classic book by C.S. Lewis. And he basically says that there's four types of loves. And so he says that there, uh, there is friendship love. There is, he's basically talking about the four different kinds of love in the Bible. So for us, we hear the word love and we think about one thing, right? We think about romantic love. Yeah. But Lewis says that in the biblical worldview, there's not, there's not four, there's not one kind of love. There's four kinds. So he says that there's, there's friendship love. Um, there is, uh, you know, familial love or, you know, affection, uh, like you'd have for your, you know, your child, that kind of thing. And then there's uh, eros, he says, which is erotic love or, or romantic love. <laughs> that's the t- that's what we tend to think of. Yeah. But then he talks about that there's also charity, yeah. um, right? That's, uh, you know, that's agape. It's the kind of love that God has for us, right? It's the, So there's those four kinds of loves. So let's maybe talk about how this manifests, this love gets manifested in these realms, right? So let's start with the friendship, right? Lewis says that's the lowest on the hierarchy of loves. But what does what does love look like for friends? Like, what does that look like? He says it this way. He says that that basically what friendship love looks like. It's whenever m- brothers come together around a journey. Yeah. Right. There's this like everybody knows that you've you've got like coworkers, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that just because you're working together that you're friends. Right. He talks about that like. Whenever you find yourself in that position, there's always something that will bind you and maybe a couple more. Maybe, maybe it's an interest. Maybe it's a, a certain view of the world, right, that, that binds you together. And that makes you brothers together on a journey to see the world um, reformed in this way. I don't know if you got anything you want to add to that. but Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah. Um, you know, he basically talks about that. That's what that's what friends do. Like they, uh, you know, they see uh, the world reshaped, uh, kind of in their the way that they think that the world should, you know, be shaped. And you, you see that even in the the Inklings, like with C.S. Lewis. Yeah, Tolkien. that's what I was going to bring up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yep. They you see that there. Um, he talks about that. Uh, you know, one of the things that they did was they were wanting to reform the world through their writings. You know, they thought that the world was supposed to be a certain way. Um, there's a great chapter about that in Lisa Katouris's Tolkien's Theology of uh, Beauty, I think is what it's called. It's a book on aesthetics. 
that I picked up a couple years ago now. He's she's got a she's got a chapter in that book on that in particular, and how that played into their writings. And so, um, but so that's that's an example of that, right? Like they're your brothers in arms kind yeah, of deal, yeah. right? And we see that we see that in some movies, right? Like so, I don't know if you got any examples that you want to throw out there of some brothers in arms, but uh, I mean, do we really want to? Go oh, to the cliche of Lord of the Rings. I mean, I mean my, why? We're, that's why we're that here. Out, I that's mean, why we're here, right? Like it's that's nobody's going to be surprised by that one, right? I mean, if you listen to Sword Staff, you know we're going to talk about Lord of the Rings. So yeah, but you see it there, yeah. right? I think like in in the uh, you know in the Fellowship, yeah. right? These are brothers. Like with Aragorn and Boromir and Aragorn and uh, Legolas and these yeah. are brothers in arms, right? They have a mission. What's yeah. the mission? To destroy the Ring of Power. Right, and yep. and that mission binds them together, and it gives them something to aim at that's that's higher than themselves. And you know, we we can get into some of the shadow stuff later. But whenever brothers don't have this bigger mission that's outside of them, what happens is they they'll take aim at each other, and they'll they'll you'll make you the the center of the, the relationship here rather than the journey, right? And so that's important. Brothers are they're they're together. They're they're brothers in arms, and they're on a journey. So. Um, I don't know if we got any other ones that we want to talk about. Other depictions of that in in movies. You got any on the top of your head? My mind has just been stuck in Lord of the Rings mode since the poster, <laughs> so I I can't really like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we did a podcast today on the posters uh, as yep. an exclusive for Patron. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the the you know great war movies out there that you see, um, you know, depict some of that. Um, you know, you see. Uh, you kind of see it at the family level in I mean, some ways. Just and brotherhood that you find in Christianity. I mean, right? Yeah. Well, in the movie Troy, um, you see, you see it there in some ways. You can kind of see it at the family love level in some ways, with um, Paris and his brother Hector. Right? Hector is ready to go to war for his family. Right? Yep. Um, even though his brother has done something that he obviously shouldn't have done. Um, and a thousand ships have been launched because of it. Um, he's willing to to pick up the sword and and it's his brother, and then his brother in the real sense, right? His his real brother. Um, so that's that's some of the ways that we see that in, yep. in friendship love. Obviously, um, you know, another way too is Jonathan and David in the Bible, right? They're brothers in arms, right? And whenever uh, Jonathan dies, David weeps. You know, they were brothers in arms, um, and. You know, one of the things about that that I think is important is I think that's an important category to recover because in our culture, and Lewis writes about it in The Four Loves, um, all love has been sexualized. Yeah. Right? And so whenever you see two men who are, who are close with one another and who have a friendship or a brotherhood, people automatically assume that it's gay. Yep. Right? And that's not the case. And the reason why that is <clears throat> is because we have conflated all love into erotic love. And that's that's why you see people saying that Jonathan and David were gay and yep. you know that kind of thing. <laughs> Lewis has a <laughs> Lewis has a has a point on that uh, in here. I wish that I could find it, um, but he says he says this. Um, he said uh, this about friendship, and this is how it, he distinguishes it from erotic love. He said lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever even about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in one another. Friends are side-by-side, absorbed in a common interest. I think that 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 defines it 
pretty well. Um, I think that that's uh, <laughs> there is a place here. Uh, here it is. Yeah, yeah, I gotta find it. Uh, <laughs> he said the implic. So he's talking about like Beowulf and and uh, you know and people saying that they were homosexual. Yeah. And uh, he says kisses, uh, or he says the implications would be if nothing else too comic. So he's saying that this is just humorous to him that these people think that this is uh, erotic yeah. love. He says the implications are too comic. He says Hrothgar embracing Beowulf. Uh, Johnson embracing Boswell, a pretty flagrant, uh, flagrantly heterosexual couple, and those hairy old tufts of centurions and Tacitus clinging to one another and begging begging one another for last kisses when the legion was broken up. All pansies? <laughs> he says, if you can believe that, you can believe anything. Yep. He says, all, they're all pansies? Yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, so that's important. Like that's uh, that's something that we need to recover as men. And, and honestly, I think that's that's what keeps a lot of men today from cultivating like true friendships, yeah. like deep friendships with with other men, because of that stigma and stereotype. Lewis Lewis says that friendship is. He says that he thinks that wor- the world would go on without friendship, but he says he thinks that's the thing that makes it special, is the fact that because the world could go on without it. Um, it having it makes it a little more. Spe- it's like ice cream. You don't need ice cream, but whenever you have it, it's really special. <laughs> it's like whenever I go to Wendy's and I get a frosty, I don't need it. The Wendy's, the Wendy's. always the Wendy's. Well, I don't need a frosty, but whenever I go and I get a frosty, it's really special to me. So that's what he says about friendship. That it's it's added value. It does. He doesn't say that it's not that it adds value. It does add value, but yeah. So anyway, um. So anyway, so the next one we'll step into is uh, we've ta- touched on it a little bit already, but as a uh, family love or familial love or affection, and, and I o- think honestly that's what keeps a lot of men like locked in unbalance because they focus on the tougher aspects. That that's what's mm-hmm. drilled into them, yeah, first and foremost, and they're scared to like sort of dive into the other side of things. Yeah, the arch- the lover archetype is is a is a balance to the yeah. warrior archetype, yeah, um, for sure. And um, and you need it. You need it in order to be balanced. Um, you know, you see that with Jesus. You know, with his twelve disciples, right? The he, the one whom whom Jesus loved, the Apostle John, right? That's how he is. The one whom Jesus loved is Jesus a pansy? No, <laughs> no. Uh, to quote Lewis, is is he a pansy? No, um, he's not. And I mean, it's just so ridiculous to even right to I even mean, ask that question. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous to even ask. Um, so yeah, um, you see it with Jesus and his disciples, especially John. He's the one. I, mean, that I don't John know had. if we've just come so far with it or what, but I, just the thought that somebody would seriously have those thoughts, yeah, over something like that is just. I mean, yeah. it, it makes me laugh. It's I mean, kind of funny. Um, well, it just shows how far you know we've bought into the culture's definition of love. Yeah. You know, that it's all erotic um, and that it's all, you know, and that's honestly, that's probably why a lot of people are confused um, that they don't have. This is going to be the episode that gets us canceled. Um, yep. but that's why, why a lot of men and women are confused is because they don't have a category for friendship love and because they live in a culture that confuses all types of affection and love for erotic love. And so because you have a strong feeling for a, a brother or a sister in a faith or a friend, you, you you must obviously be a pansy um, or you must be homosexual, right? And that's not at all the Bible version of how this love works. It's totally possible to be heterosexual and have a strong friendship love for someone else. Nothing wrong with that, naturally. Right, yeah. So, 
Um, so family, okay, stepping back into the family here. Obviously, that one's really straightforward. That's the type of love that you have for family members. It's the type of love that you have for your children, right? It's a great love. It's a, it's a special love. Uh, the world doesn't go on without that love. Like, if there's no families to, to rear the children, what happens to the children? You don't get a world like that. Like, if, if you have a baby, right, and you don't have that familial love for that, what happens with that? The world does not go on, right? So that love is necessary. Um, but also, there's a, a way for this, too, that you see. Um, love for country could fall into this as well, I think. What happens if you don't love your country? It becomes invaded, and it's not your country anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, you know, um, you know that's why having brothers in arms is helpful because you, you're able to fight. You know, in that. But um, so you know, but, and the reason why is it's the reason why people in olden times, you know, referred to places as like the motherland, and you see that familial aspect applied to the land there, right? Um, you know, Thomas Aquinas said that you know. Uh, a part of obeying your father and your mother is is being a patriot. Um, you're respecting your motherland, your father, you know, the place where you were born, right? That was a that was kind of a womb to you that nur- nurtured you as you were growing up. And so we're not taught to think that way anymore. <laughs> like we're taught to to like hate our country and to hate our you know hate hate our culture and all of those types of things. Yep. And and the problem with that is is that you cannot. Uh, properly uh, embody the lover whenever you do that. And I would venture to say that that's one of the reasons why um, we're in one of the shapes that we're in right now as a country. Like, think about what we've got. We've got social justice, not lovers, but social justice what? Warriors. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Uh Interesting. Anyway, that's off the top of my head. I'm literally on the spot connections there. Yeah. So, um, the next one is erotic love. Josh has been (laughs) waiting for this. (sighs) Uh, Put your earmuffs on, people. Yeah, put Uh, your earmuffs on. Josh is going to get into it. uh, No, 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 no. But, um, (laughs) you know, this is the one one where, you know, Lewis is talking about. Yeah. Lovers are, are talking to one another about their love. Right, um, lovers are face to face, absorbed in one another. That's erotic love. Obviously, that works out sexually, um, you know, in that way. But you know, some of the ways that it works out as well is like you know, writing poetry for your for your lover. You know, that kind of thing. Um, that's one of the ways that the lover is manifested as well. Um, I think that one's really straightforward. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't. It's pretty. It's it's the most uh, intuitive. I think of yeah. of all of those. Um. So yeah, and probably because it's the most, it's the easiest one to define. It's probably the reason why yeah. they all get lumped into that category. Well, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you see this one. Disorder. We see this one depicted in movies, you know, yep. as well, right? Like, um, Aragorn and Arwen, right? Great, great depiction of it. Um, one of the more righteous depictions of it. <laughs> Honestly, now that I think, I was sitting here thinking about it. I was like, what other movie? I was like, mm, I don't want to get into Troy. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. want to get into uh, get Troy. No. Don't want to get into Troy. Um, that's not a good depiction of, of the lover. That's the shadow lover. Yep. Um, <clears throat> which we'll get into. Yeah, we don't want to get into the Romans and the Greeks and their. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, that's a, a great depiction of the lover archetype, right? He, right? Not only is he the strider and he's the warrior, but he's also integrated and he's the lover as well. 
right? There's a time to be hard. And there's a time to be soft, right? So that's important. Um, so moving on to the next one is agape or charity, right? And that one's love for God and the love that God has for us, right? And Lewis says this is at the top of the hierarchy. Like this is the top, this is the love of loves. Um, and the world doesn't go on without this love. I mean, li- listen, we live in a world right now um, that has tried to strip the world of, of God, uh, you know, Nietzsche. I mean, literally the world does not go on without this love because have, should God decide to take that love away, we're done. I mean, well, yeah, it's the same. It's the same. Let me back up. With, I, you got to say, too, that the world doesn't go on without romantic love. Yeah. If people aren't reproducing, there is no human race. Yeah. Right. And if there's no family there uh, taking care of them, that human race does not go on and flourish. Um, but it's the same thing with God. There, uh, there is no uh, there is no culture that goes on without God. You know, and recently I've been reading uh, Frederick Nietzsche. Um, I've been reading his Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And uh, it's this it's this Zarathustra is this prophet who kind of parallels the life of Jesus. And he comes down from the mountains and he declares to them that God is dead. So if you've ever heard the phrase, God is dead, that comes yep. from Nietzsche. And basically what Zarathustra, Zarathustra uh, tells them is, they must become the Ubermensch or Superman is what that means. And what they do is they kind of create this master morality themselves. They must define what is good and what is evil. Now, what Nietzsche couldn't have... So basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to deal with the problem of nihilism. right? And basically what nihilism is is God does not exist. There is no meaning maker, meaning definer. Therefore, there is no meaning to life. That's nihilism. Um, so Nietzsche is trying to deal with the problem of nihilism. Like, okay, what do we do in a world where there is no meaning? Well, basically his premise is you must become the ubermensch. You must become Superman and define your own morality, create your own meaning, right? Um, the problem with that is, is that he could have probably never expected what would happen after that. You know, whenever the World War happens, Hitler passes around his work and that becomes the justification for Arianism. They're the yep. they're the Ubermensch. Yep. They're the Superman who define their own morality. And so, whenever you strip away this agape love, and you take it out of the top of the hierarchy. There's no wonder that there's confusion with the rest of the loves. Yeah. Right. When people confuse erotic love, whenever there's a lack of familial love, whenever friendship love is confused for erotic love, like. Whenever you get that love wrong, all of the rest of them are going to be chaos. And what's going to happen, too, whenever you fill the void, uh, whenever there's that vacuum there, the thing that's going to fill the void in the vacuum is going to be a cosmic horror like the Holocaust that you had uh, with Adolf Hitler and and the Nazis, Um, all in the name of of love, (laughs) which is what what we've got. I think it's almost better to even shape it instead of it being like the the love that's at the tip top of the others, Mm. that it's sort of foundational it is that frames the others yeah yeah Yeah. it's uh without that one you don't have the others right yeah you can't properly understand it and you know um you see that you see that in some of the stories as well now you don't see a ton of depiction of that in the lord of the rings movies right like not a ton 
Um, but you do see it in Tolkien's work whenever yep. you actually get into it, like especially whenever you you get into you know the Silmarillion and you get to learning about Numenor, right? And you know one of the things that they they had to do was you know they did this pilgrimage up to uh, you know up on this uh, great mountain. Uh, trying to trying to remember what that mountain was called. Don't butcher remember. it, Josh. Uh, I'm not going to butcher it. It's uh, it starts with an M, but. Uh, Anyway, it's uh, a magical Numenorean mountain. There you go. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta find it. Oh, now. here we go. Uh, but they would do uh, a pilgrimage up on that mountain. I think it was three times a year. Uh, Tolkien fans can can uh, can correct me on that. But I think that there was three pilgrimages. And ah, Minotarma. That was it. Yep. I knew it started with a name. I couldn't remember what it was. Minotarma. Um, they would they would go up on. So it's. It, it's known as the Holy Mountain, and it was sacred to the Numenorians. But get this, the mountain was a holy place that was uh, devoted to Eru Iluvatar. Yep. So you may not see that in the movies, but it's in Tolkien's work. And so what they would do is they would go up there, and they would uh, there was this love for Iluvatar, right? And it's the same thing, you know, you see the same thing with Jesus, right? You you see it. Jesus goes up on the mountains to be alone with who? The Father. Yep. Right, and that's yeah. It's it's essential. So if you don't get that right, um, you're gonna you're gonna be consumed in the shadows, right? So probably a good transition into the shadows, honestly. So let's yep. talk about the shadow of the lover. So let's let's get into that. So you, I don't know if you've got them pulled up there in front of you, but what are the shadows of of the the lover archetype? Um, I think of the. Main one that anybody's gonna like focus in on first is the impotent lover. So, yeah. Do you want to go off of that first? Yeah, we'll go with the impotent lover. So the impotent lover is the lover who just can't do enough, right? So the other bipolar shadow is the uh, it's a the addicted lover. Yep. Who is the lover who can't get enough? But the other one is the lover who can't do enough. He's impotent or she's impotent, right? And and. There's various ways that this is depicted, but, you know, in friendship love, one of the ways that you see this is you've got somebody who just, like, the friend who just feels like they just can't live up, right? Like, they, they just feel like they're constantly missing the mark. Um, they, they, that's it. That's the shadow lover. Um, and, you know, another way, too, is uh, whenever you hit the, the family. It's the same thing. You see it really, that pattern manifested in all of this. Like, it's the same thing with the family. It's, it's just like yep. the father who has this constant sense of guilt, like he's not living up and doing things that he needs to do for his family, and he's constantly falling short, right? And so then he overworks himself to death, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, another another way that you see this in erotic love is, is the same thing. It's like a man just thinks that, like, he tells his woman, you you just can't be pleased, you know? That kind of thing, yeah. and the, the roles are reversed here. The women women could do this with men as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you just can't please him. Um, that's that's the impotent lover. That's the shadow. Um, it's the same thing with God. Like, and it usually works with um, this nagging this nagging sense of I can't please this God, therefore I have to work my way into doing it. And that's something that you can't do <laughs> because God explicitly says that your, our works are as filthy rags. Yeah. You know. Um, <clears throat> So that's some of the ways that you you see um, the impotent lover. I don't know if you got anything else you want to add to that, but um, I mean, it's somebody that's uh, like just driven by emotions. Like it's somebody that's yeah. 
ungrounded, out of touch with uh, just natural boundaries and disorder and yeah, that can come off as like overly expressive and clingy and things like that. Yeah, that's yep. those are great. Yep, those are great things. Yeah, great, great signs of those things. Um, definitely ways you see that manifested. It's it's kind of like a way to compensate in some ways. Yep. Like you're feeling impotent, so you've got to come over the top, right, to try to make up for it in some ways. And um, trying to think of some of the way you kind of see it in Paris a little bit in in Troy. Like he's you see some of that. Like he's uh he's kind of depicted as this weakling in some ways. I mean, yeah. like he's I mean, kind of in the sh- to compared Hector, to his brother. Yeah. He's kind of he's kind of a weakling. Yeah. You know. Um. So you can kind of see it there. Um. Now the next one is the addicted lover. Okay. Now this is the one that we people don't really think about this one, but this one's one we see depicted in, in big time ways as well. The addicted lover is the one. Here, let me give you an example. It's the woman who is in the abusive relationship, but says, "Oh, I know that he's abusive to me, but he really loves me." That's the addicted lover. It's whenever you're addicted to something or someone that is not good for you, and yet you won't leave or stop it because you're addicted to it. Yep. Another way that we see this is drug addiction, alcohol addiction, right? Um, people who are doing things they know will harm them or even kill them, but yet they can't do it, stop doing it because they're addicted. Yep. Right? Um, you can see this, you can see it with friends as well. Like you've got a friendship that's bad for you, but you engage in it even though you know that you shouldn't because you're addicted to it. Um, see it at the family level, right? You're, you, you, you live in a country that you know uh, does not love you, um, and yet you stay in it anyway um, because you love to be there or whatever. Or you yep. can sit with a family member. There's a certain family member in your life who is toxic, who needs to be um, cut out of your life, and yet you allow them there because whatever. You love them or they love you. Um, this is the one you don't see with God, I don't think. I, I can't think of uh, um, I can't think of an example of the addicted lover in that realm. Um, at least not on God's end. Yeah, <laughs> obviously not on God's end. Not but, on God's yeah. end, but you know, in other ways, like perhaps religious fanaticism or something. Yeah. Um, I would have to think deeply about that. But it's like some cultic stuff tied in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you could probably make that case. Um, so yeah. Um, you know, I think that a great depiction of the addicted lover is Gollum. Yeah. 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 I mean, like he's addicted to this thing, this power, ring of power that, um, is not good for him. To his complete detriment over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. And that's what it looks like to be the, the addicted lover. It's like you were addicted to this thing and it's not good for you and you're willing to just give it all up for it <laughs> you know it's it's really it's idolatry in some ways yeah. well not in some ways it is um so but basically what it is is it's a disordering of loves right um love is patient love is kind all of those yep. things and it's uh whenever you don't have that uh, yeah anyway so hmm so i don't know if you got anything you want to add to that but not off the top of my head i mean we yeah sort of covered where I was going to go with it so yeah so that's the the lover 
Yep. Okay. And so we've covered the shadow. We've covered the archetype itself. We've given some examples of that. Um, so let's talk about integrating this into our lives, right? We'll spend this last section here kind of doing some application, maybe talking about some of the things that we've done and we've, we've struggled with and, and some of that. So what are some ways that we could um, to integrate this in our lives? Uh, let's start at the levels and we'll work our way up. Okay. So yeah. let's start at the friendship level. <clears throat> um, what do you think are some ways that a, uh, that a man uh, or a woman, either one, could integrate in the lover archetype at the friendship level? I'll let you go first. <laughs> I can see the wheels turning. And he's yeah. like, no. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, I think that one of the things that we need to do is not be deceived by society's lie that friendship is, is gay. I'll just be honest. Um, I think one of the things that men could do are, not because it's necessary, but because it's good and it adds value to your life, um, is is pursue uh, deep friendships with other men and and find a journey to be on with other people, um, and you can have various journeys with other people, right? Like not a, like everybody has a different journey. Like we've got we've got sword and staff, right? Um, and then you know I'm also the pastor of a church as well, and so that's a journey as well, right? And so you need that in your life, though, yep. and it adds it adds value to your life, and so. Um, so yeah, um, I would say that's number one. Um, you, I think that that's uh, it, it makes it a lot more difficult. It, friendships help, you know, like in, in the sense that like whenever you have this mission, it's tough for you to just do it by yourself. You know what I mean? Like if you have other brothers who are on the mission with you, um, you take a water drop and you turn it into something much bigger than just a water drop. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it's, um, you know, with just you, you're a drop in a bucket, you know, uh, with more, it's, it's a lot bigger impact. So, um, you've got to have that. So I think that's one. Way. I don't know if you got anything you want to add to that, but let's move on to the next level. Okay. So the family, um, okay. So this one, I want to, I'm thinking about the person who doesn't really have a tight family. Obviously, that's one way. Like, like love your family, okay? But yep. what about the person who doesn't have a family, yep. right? Um, I think that there's a couple things here that that person could do, okay? I think that, number one, you need to remember that you grew up in a country that was like a mother to you. So one of the things that you could do, you know, and this is probably going to give me, is be a patriot. More canceled. <laughs> We just got canceled. Yep. Um, to love your country and to love the culture of your com- your country. Um, now I'm going to get called a nationalist. Yeah. <laughs> but love, love, love your country. Love the culture of your country. It's not saying that your country is the kingdom of God or the greatest country of all time, right? That's that's not what we're saying here. We don't believe that America is is the kingdom of God, like the only place on earth where the kingdom of God that's is That's news to a lot of conservatives, though. <laughs> well, you know— I, Here's what I'd say. Uh, it's certainly a place where the kingdom of God is manifested, but it's yeah. not the only place. Um, but um, it's certainly I think that American culture is great. And I do think that it is greater than other cultures out there. I mean, I, like I, there's this like this weird idea out there that like 
all cultures are equal and that you can't say that some cultures are greater. Okay, what about American culture compared to Korean culture, North Korea's culture, right? Like, come on. Like, let's get real here. American culture is greater than North American culture in terms of the freedom that we're allowed and the expression that we're allowed. Like, let's just get real here, okay? (laughs) Like, let's just be honest. Um, So I think that's one one of the ways that practically you could – Cultivate that love. Is be a patriot. Love your fam. Love love your country. Um, if you don't have a family to love, um, if you have a family to love, love your country as well. Um, another way that we didn't talk about though is um, there's a reason why church family is called church family. Being plugged into a local church, it gives you a support system to be a part of. It gives you a family to be there whenever, if you need it. Right. Um, and so I, I think that that could be a practical way as well. Um, I don't know if you got anything you want to add to that one. I was going to bring up the, the church family connection. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next one, uh, erotic love. Um, so I also want to be sensitive to the person who's single. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, well, you know, in, I don't know if this is one of the ways that could possibly um, – be here is perhaps writing poetry um some of that kind of thing no it's not quite the same right I mean, just look at the monastic life yeah right. i mean the things of beauty that the uh, monastics do yeah. a life of prayer and contemplation and art and that's that's literally how the majority of them support themselves through crafts crafts and things that they build right. and things of beauty and art yeah 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 maybe you could speak to that as a single man you know <laughs> like i mean like i don't know like Maybe there's something, you know, romantic in, in the art, you know. Uh, I don't know. For me as a, as a married man, it's difficult for me to speak to that from that perspective. Uh, I can't. <laughs> but, um, you know, for mine, it's, it's... Well, you look to your wife, your marriage, and you find things of beauty and right. expressions and those in that realm. But it's like, even for the monastics, it's looking to creation, to cre- the created order and the work of God's hands and see- and reflecting on that and making things that honor that and... Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, like I'm thinking about last Valentine's Day, I wrote my wife a poem. You know, yep, I remember like, that. So it's a, you know, express that love for her uh, in that way. Um, I'm gonna say something, and obviously, like, and it needs not be a bugaboo with Christian people, but one of the ways you can express your erotic love, your romantic love for your spouse, is by having sex together. Like, and like I say that because like. I don't know, man. Like, just out there in the evangelical world, like, it becomes Christ- such a taboo. It's, it's I mean, such a taboo. Yeah. Like, to act like that, like, sex is like this weird thing. Like, yeah. you know, and I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, I think that, you know, I talked about this last, you know, last week. I can't remember when it was now. Um, we're going through Genesis and we're talking about family stuff, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, covenant family but i think one of the things that we've done is we've we've bought into this idea that like sex and children and things like that are are weird and bad yep. and like you know what i mean like like there's this like i i found this picture it's almost like it's a like christians use it as a a scare tactic to keep people from getting into Sort of premarital relationships and things like that. Yeah, I think almost that, the way they use like legalism to sort of keep people out of trouble. Yeah, and other I, things. I definitely think so. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. It's like 
sex is like like I know people who have like a complex about sex because they grew up in a super strict legalistic yep. home um where sex they were trained and catechized like growing up to think that sex was bad. Yep. Right? Yep. And because of that now like <clears throat> they have this weird bugaboo about sex. And you, I think you see that at large in evangelical culture. So yeah. I think that that's definitely one part of it. And then I think that there's this the other part of it where like, we just believe that like sex and reproduction is just bad and weird and this inconvenience. Like, check this out. I found this yesterday. <laughs> check this out. It's this couple on this slicky slide. And Wait, what does that say? It says so. There, Richie didn't know this. <laughs> I just hit it with it. So it's a it's a baby. Uh, Does it say coming never? It says coming never. So they're holding a onesie, and it says coming never. And then the guy's holding a pair of underwear that says snip snip. Wow. Yeah. So, like, one of the ways that we express erotic love is obviously not in the sexual part, but also in being fruitful and multiplying. Yeah. You know, like God says, hey, be fruitful. And it's not just be, you know, it's not just be fruitful, it's multiply, right? Yeah. Like it's not just have sex, but it's also multiply. Um, and man, I think that we've just, as Christians, we've bought in to the world's uh, view of this, of erotic love. And obviously... Oh gosh, there's a lot I can say about that, but um, but we need to we need to not buy into that. Um, we need to um, we need to to trust God and what He says about the covenant home and the blessings of the covenant. That children are a blessing from Him. Yep. They are arrows in the hand of a warrior. Well, Blessed I think a lot of it is uh, they de- the church sometimes demonizes like natural passions and mm-hmm. biological urges and things like that. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And like no God created us yeah. with those those urges. Now the thing that we need to do is keep them in check. Yeah. Obviously. Um but it's Find not proper outlets of expression, but right. they, I've I've seen personally in churches where the leadership will instill in their congregants that it's a bad thing to yeah. have these things. I, I, like, I, like so whenever I plan at a church, I've talked about sex, like, uh, quite a bit. Like, I, I, I preached I preached a pass. We, we did a date night back in November yeah. or December, and uh, I preached uh, to start the date night off from Song of Solomon. And I don't know how much you know about Song of Solomon. I uh, know, yeah. It's, uh, it's erotic poetry. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it is. And, uh, you know, I, I I preached this passage where Solomon's talking about you know his beloved, it's her her breasts are like you know yep. this and uh, all the look on our congregation's face. Oh, I can imagine. Like yep. like jaws to the floor, and I'm like, guys, you need to know that this is good. Yeah, you know what I mean. That like erotic romantic love with your spouse is not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It's something. It is a blessing from the Lord. It is a gift. Okay. And you should accept it as that. Like, and so, anyway, um, there's a lot more I could say about that. But, man, we're on time crunch. So yep. uh, we're coming in hot almost at 45 minutes. So um, love for God. Okay, love for God. Um, oh. Hmm. 
Oh, there's just so much. Yeah. It's, it's like there's so much that, I, you know. Yeah, we weren't expecting to be on a time crunch today, so. Yeah, one of the ways that I think that you can, um, you know, uh, do that, obviously, is is by not just attending the church, but worshiping God and then having a, a relationship with God, right? Like where you you have a prayer life. And then not only do you have a prayer life, but, um, you know, one of the ways that, you know, I've cultivated that is like, Pray in the daily office, yep. like three, like morning prayer, evening or morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, right? And then sitting, uh, sitting alone in silence and solitude, right? And meditating upon God, meditating upon His Word, um, a lot of different ways in which that can be expressed. Creating art, as well, that um, th- that depicts that, which is what the church has done for centuries, right? Like not just that, like the creating of Gothic cathedrals and. You know, all of that. So, anything, you got anything you want to add to that? Not off the top of my head, no. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'll say this. Uh, One of the struggles I think that most men have with this is, um, you know, I think that we're living in a time right now where most men in the church are are struggle not necessarily um, with the, the the hard stuff, but the soft stuff, right? And so most of the guy, men out there who are teaching on masculinity are, are encouraging men to, to the harder virtues, the harder ideals, the harder archetypes. Yep. And so I think one of the struggles for men is they can, in doing that, if they're not careful, can become unbalanced. Yep. Right? Like that you'll leave this lover part behind. Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting blowed up here on the yep. um, And... By doing that, you, you're not integrated. You become unbalanced, right? So I think that's a struggle. And I think it's something I've struggled with, and it's probably something that others have struggled with as well. Yep. And so, uh, But the thing we need is balance, right? We need to not just be the, uh, the lion, but we also need to be the lamb as well, right? Jesus is the lion and the lamb, yep. and he's that way for a reason, right? So, all right. Well, hey, I guess that about wraps us up for today's episode on the lover archetype. Hey, there was a lot more we could have said, but we kept it nice and succinct, I think. Yep. So uh, if you got, we just released a patron only exclusive. We did a reaction to the posters for the Rings of Power. So if you guys want that, we went through every image. We talked about every single image, every poster, a lot of interesting insights there, right? And so. Um, so if you want that, you have to become a patron. Head on over to www.patreon.com backslash Sword and Staff Order. Get the Sword and Staff for uncut. Uh, get the Sword and Staff uncut for just five dollars a month. And whenever you do that, you get extended episodes. You get uh, patron-only exclusive episodes that we don't release anywhere else. <laughs> we we are getting blown up today, yeah. man. Like messages and texts and uh, calls. And yeah, all. right towards the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, right towards the end of the podcast. Um, but you can get those exclusives at our Patreon. So they're there if you need them. If you want them, go on, check it out. So, Richie, you got anything else you want to say before we sign off? Not really. I mean, this was a good summation of sort of the lover ar- archetype on the whole and how it affects uh, like men in various life circumstances. So it's a pretty good episode. Yep, sounds good. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you then. See you.